trash. <laughs> and hello and welcome to this episode of Say by the Belial, an atrocious Ultraman podcast, the show where we only have three minutes to talk about an episode of Ultraman. I'm David. I'm Chris. And what you didn't hear is I don't know how to pronounce what is it? Chamomile tea? Yeah. Like I was slightly joking, but I'm like, chamomile? I don't know. I don't really drink tea. Yeah, but, but unless it comes from the chamomile region, it's just sparkly gray, Earl Gray. Yeah, this was definitely a Walmart version. So actually, oh. you know what's crazy though is people knock Walmart, but they have organic stuff there. And like their yeah, produce sure isn't do. actually half bad. So it's a lot you of know. communities only access to some of that stuff. It is. And it's it's strange. But we could spend a whole podcast talking about that. And we're not going to. <laughs> so we are talking about the last half of Ultraman Ginga S, not S-S-S-S, just P. S. Yeah. Yeah, some about <laughs> Subarai and a lot of S's. I don't really understand it. But... I know, like it's such a such an acronym. If you had to tell people your business card, it just keeps going and going. Right. They should just rename themselves to Subaraya. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> comes Ultra uh, Snake. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do a little bit of house cleaning here before we jump in. As always, uh, one of the things we did forget to do last episode is give another shout out to the Tokusatsu Network. Uh, I will make sure that we have this integrated into our podcast moving forward. Uh, but again, we are very thankful that they were willing to partner with us so that we could be a sponsored podcast in their network. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Tokusatsu Network, they uh, were founded in 2014, uh, comprised of various individuals from different avenues who have come together to provide quality Tokusatsu news coverage. And there is a lot of stuff on that site, whether it's Godzilla, Kamen Rider, oh, Super seriously? Sentai, uh, Ultraman. I mean, there's just, there's no shortage of movies, shows, et cetera, that they cover. Definitely recommend keeping them bookmarked uh, if you ever want to keep up with stuff. Um, they do even have a recap of the Ultraman uh, Sevenger fight that happened earlier. God, what was that? Was that last week or this week? I, I'm already... That was, that was last, last week. week. I'm already losing track. But that was a lot of yeah. fun. Um, looks like uh, Ryan Firestein did the write-up on June 6th. I will make sure to put that in the notes. But that was a lot of fun. And they did announce that they are going to be doing another event on July 10th for Ultraman Day. So make sure to keep your eyes peeled for that. And were the, were the short episodes, they were still going to be available on YouTube as well. Yeah. Right? they they. When I talked to Jeff, he wasn't 100% sure when they would go live. But that is the goal to get them on YouTube. Obviously, they got to get a few things uh, figured out, but that's pretty what pretty much what the night was. We had uh, a couple episodes, and they had some interviews um, with a few people from the show. Uh, let me actually get that pulled up. So uh, Sean Nichols was the host. He played Sean White in Ultraman Max. Um, then the guest speakers were uh, Rima Matsuda, uh, who played uh, Yoko in the uh, in Ultraman Z. And then you had uh, Takaya uh, Ayogai. I don't know how to pronounce that. I, I apologize. Um, that was a juggler. And then you had the director of both Ultraman Z and uh, Seven Year Fight, uh, Kiyotaka Taguchi. 
So like I said, was a lot of fun. Um, definitely, if you weren't able to attend, you did miss out on a really good night. I, you know what's funny about Z? Is I was about to say, oh, they got two of the best characters. And it's like, no, but not better than so-and-so. Not better, you know. I just realized how much I love the whole cast when I almost put them all in competition. I know. I know. And that's what's tough is like that show was a, a lot of fun. And it, it is really hard to... Like, I know you get new shows every time, right? But this was like really the first show that I felt like I invested my time and emotions to. So to have like a mm-hmm. new show come in and be like, oh, now I have to get used to other people. And it's just yeah. not the same. I agree. Um, can I talk about news that we didn't put in our notes? Yeah, very absolutely. important news. Absolutely. Uh, if you don't follow Eric Schuster... He drew a picture of my boy on his Twitter account. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Kid Taro. It was so good. So good. Yeah. So I his 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 descriptions in the Twitter profile. And it's a I think it's a couple of days now. But Eric, when you hear it, well, by the time this is aired, it'll be a few days more. So, Eric, if you're listening, uh, retweet that for our fans. They'll want to see my boy. Yeah, I'll make sure to put a link to it in the notes. That's the benefit of writing out your notes is I can write all this down for later. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, Chris. get that framed, put on a (laughs) t-shirt. What? My notes or the Kid Taro? (laughs) (laughs) Both. Kid Taro on the front, your notes on the back. Okay, yeah. You know those shirts that say, like, I am a Mississippian who has guns for arms, who's married to an alligator, who eats ramen noodles. You know, those. Yeah, the, I'll have that, but with your the notes. The AI-generated shirts that people <laughs> yeah. buy anyway. Yeah. Oh. For some reason. Yeah, they buy them on purpose with their real money. I know. Yeah, I, I don't understand. But. Like, whoever came up with that, I don't know if I'm jealous or just absolutely disappointed, but... Uh, Chris, I think we had a new review drop in. Is that right? I think we did. Um, it's from Sailor Fighter, which I like, I, I sat and I'm like, does that mean they are a sailor who fights? Do they exclusively fight sailors? Or is this like the boy version of Sailor Moon? So this is someone that we have talked about on the show, but I wasn't sure Uh-oh. if she wanted us to use her name or not. So that is the name on the Apple podcast account. It's actually in Japanese, but that's the English translation of it. Uh, The Google translate translation of it. No, like it actually is. So, okay, good. Cause I didn't want them to revise the review because we guessed the Japanese again, (laughs) but, um, so I, I said like Captain America, I get that reference. Uh, amusing. Once you take hold of me, what will you do? Uh, Saved by the Belial takes hold of the Ultraman series from Showa to no- new gen heroes in a thoughtful and analytic matter, not getting bogged down in ultra seriousness. Not at all. Discussion of themes, <laughs> discussion of themes, symbolism, and fresh interpretations. I, fresh is a really nice way to put that. Thank you. Yeah. Fresh interpretations abounds, thankfully avoiding simple episode recaps. The gimmick of limiting the conversation on each episode to three minutes the time span for a traditional Ultraman color timer keeps the conversation focused and concise, eliminating the rambling. No, 
and repetitive <laughs> sometimes heard on other pods. While much of the show's humor is American culture dependent, and I don't get it, starting with the title itself. This won't be an issue for 99% of listeners. Most importantly, the show and its hosts, David and Chris, reflect the spirit of Ultra. Kindness, compassion, working together, and just generally being a good person. Belly Rock would find these guys amusing, so it earns my highest recommendation. What a sweet review. Yeah. So you know who you are. Definitely appreciate that. I do appreciate all the uh, feedback you've given us privately as well, just making sure that we're speaking about Japanese culture correctly, because we definitely don't want to sound like idiots. So, well, more than... Well, for too many reasons. <laughs> well, we'll definitely... I mean, the fact that we're opening our mouths probably does a little bit of that work yeah, for us. Yeah. All right. So I did post a tweet... <gasps> you know, because we oh do post gosh. tweets every once in a while about thoughts regarding Ginga S, right? So I didn't really post these too far in advance because of our recording schedule. It's all kind of weird. But the gist of it, just asking, how do people feel about Ginga S compared to Ginga? And really the important question that no one answered is, is show a mole man. And no one seemed to have an answer <laughs> for that. So... Uh, Kyle Anderson, Show all, man. Eh. <laughs> Kyle Anderson <laughs> said, I really liked Ginga S. It's obviously a completely different animal to Ginga, but I love the addition of the underground alien monarchy along with the return of the monster fighting team. I liked Ginga for what it was, but Ginga S is much more my jam. And then uh, Brian T. He turned his face away from the mic to take a breath. <laughs> take a breath or, uh, you know, slight little burp. Uh, Brian T. Alexander said, <laughs> I like Ginga S way more than the first one. Personally, it felt like there was actually a budget on this one. Yeah, I can't really huh? avoid that. And then uh, returning commentator slash former guest, Pri said, I actually wound up enjoying Ginga more than S. The latter definitely has a more polished style with more budget, but it tries too hard to imitate a recognizable style from previous Heisei series without the substance. Ginga is something more unique and aged better for it, I think. And I will say, up until this viewing, I would have agreed with her, but I even had a private conversation with her today about something we'll touch on. And I actually disagree with that. I think you have to dig oh, a little no. harder with Ginga S, but I think it's actually a very deep and meaningful series. It's just not in your traditional Ultraman sense. Uh, yeah, we can definitely get into that. But I think especially this half, I felt it a yeah. little more. Oh, absolutely. So. Okay, so a few more thoughts before going into the discussion. So as we've made it clear, we don't typically do a lot of research before the show. Not that it doesn't matter, but sometimes it's just, I don't know, you can get bogged down with that. So we made a comment about how Ginga S was starting to feel a little bit like Sentai. Come to find out, uh, Koichi Sakamoto is the series director. He directed the first three episodes of the series. And come to find out, he has worked on Power Rangers, Super Sentai, and Kamen Rider in both stunt and directorial capacities. Now, he's done a lot of other shows as well. He's going to be the, I think, actually the, the showrunner um, of Ultraman Trigger. He's done, like, the, the Zero Belial movie. As long as for sure, I mean, he's definitely got the chops, but knowing that 
he was really involved in like the stunt work for uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's our Power Rangers, whatever series. It, it just makes more sense why it feels so different this time around. Yeah, and I think um, it's funny because you can start to see like the way that these influences have worked because I looked up after you told me that he worked on all of them. I looked him up and he did. He directed Time Force, Wild Force and Ninja Storm, which were some of the most popular Ranger series. But he also directed uh, some of the most uh, not well-liked Sentai series. So <laughs> he did he did Sentai Q-Ranger, which is the one with 12 Rangers in space, which is hmm. probably just as mixed as Ginga is. Like, I remember hearing that Ginga gets some pretty mixed reactions, mm-hmm. but Q-Ranger is about the same way. People who love it love it. People who don't like it just don't seem to care for it at all. But one of my favorite things that he did, which I didn't know was him, was he did the Super Sentai Strongest Battle, which is when um, he took a lot of Mighty Morphin influences into Sentai, which is just funny. It gives me a lot of hope because I've uh, watched that on YouTube. And uh, (laughs) if he, the way he, the way he like brought, like he, the way he like winked, but like a really big, obvious wink to Power Rangers in the Sentai series was amazing. Mm-hmm. So if he's in charge of Trigger, that's going to be really exciting it's for, yeah. to me, at least. Yeah, he's done a lot of other shows, too. But yeah, I am excited to see what happens with Trigger there. I'd be really curious because he did Kamen Rider 4Z. Um, so I wonder if that has the same like Ranger Sentai Ultraman feel. Hmm. Like he directed you. it, not yeah. just in it. So I'm yeah, curious yeah. if. You can sense him in it or not. Good question. If anyone has an answer to that, we'd Thank love you. to hear. Um, next comment is, remember how we are talking about the forgotten past and you had made a comment about just not knowing what the writer's room looked like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the writer for that episode is actually a woman, uh, Hisako Kurosawa. Oh. Uh, she's also the writer for two of my favorite Ultraman X episodes and I think one of the best Ultraman Orb episodes. So all that said, that was a great question. And if we would have done research beforehand, we would have known that, hey, a woman wrote this That's one. not going to make us change, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just, it was good. I think that was a good question. And I was like, well, there you go. Now we know. So. Yeah. And then uh, last thing don't really want to get too deep into it because I think every podcast has really discussed this ad nauseum. There's going to be a Netflix Ultraman movie and not like the anime uh, adaptation off the manga, but like an actual United States Ultraman movie. And what are your thoughts, Chris? This is the one where he like takes care of a, he takes care of a baby Kaiju, right? I actually don't know. I, I don't remember what the plot was. I just know some of the people that worked on like Kubo and the Seven Strings are involved. So it's it, it's okay. got some good muscle behind it. Well, I'll just make the one joke that I can make that the other podcast didn't. If it's him, if it's Ultraman taking care of a baby kaiju, this is Ultramandalorian. Okay, so you ready for the uh, episode discussions? <laughs> Not even just episodes this time, though. There's something different. Yeah. Yeah, very excited for this. We get uh, movies and, well, movie and uh, a special. A special. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. 
So, yeah, we're discussing episodes 9 through 16, and then we will be discussing Ultraman Ginga S, the movie, Showdown, the 10 Ultra Warriors, along with Ultra Fight Victory. Yes. So, we are starting with episode 9, A Life to Regain. The second half of Ginga S begins... The gang from Furuhoshi drops in. Hikaru enjoys his peaceful reunion with Masuzu when he receives an emergency call from UPG. Watching Hikaru work so steadily towards his dream makes Masuzu nervous about her own. And that's when she meets Android Zero... Oh, Just wow. read it. I haven't read this out loud. And that's when she meets Android Zero One appear- One Zero appears, who is abandoned by Exceller. What's even funnier I is promise the I gang from her... The gang from <laughs> Furuhoshi Town appears, and it's just one person. So apparently, she is a gang. Yeah, Susie yeah. is a gang. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't know her life, but um, I I when I when she popped up, I was like, wait, yeah, yeah, I know her. I know. I, I do like I do like that. Apart from Tomoya, that is our first uh, cameo, so to speak, someone that actually is meaningful to Hikaru, right? Mm-hmm. And it's more than just like an appearance too. It's like actually bringing in the themes of Ginga to mm-hmm. Ginga S. Yeah. Yeah. I think and- we talked a little, we talked a little bit about the way that Ginga S kind of, it doesn't leave behind the dreams, but it goes in a different direction. So I kind of liked revisiting that theme with an older cast. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel like Misuzu compared to where she was at before? Like, how do you think she's handling that? Uh, it was a little interesting to see. Uh, it wasn't quite an regression, but this like confidence fl- getting blustered by seeing how far Hikaru is going in his dreams. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought that Ginga left it on a little bit of a higher note than that. But um, I didn't feel like we were watching high schoolers anymore. And I thought it was a good way to watch someone naturally grow and progress. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah no, I agree with that. Because uh, even though two years haven't elapsed outside of the show, in the show it has, and you actually feel like the mm-hmm. characters have grown. Because that was even one of my comments is the way that Hikaru has planned to jump and have the monsters trap themselves. Like that's mm-hmm. something we wouldn't have seen in the first series. So we really yeah, have seen him grow. Right. Um, I do have to make a really quick comment though. You had mentioned dreams and I was like, androids. I was like, do androids dream of electric kaiju? <laughs> Sorry. Yes. I, it just kind of hit me all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel like, you know, she is kind of being faced with that. Well, what what do my dreams amount to? But then you see her and the way that she's just extending this compassion to Android One Zero, I guess Mana now, right? Mm-hmm. And that really sets everything else into motion for the rest of the show. Is I'm not saying that's the mm-hmm. only reason why she came in, but her example that she set certainly there, helped. Yeah, yeah, that example she set there really started getting the ball rolling for everyone else, in my opinion. Especially the next episode. The next episode, we'll talk about it. Follows up so well on what she does for the android. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want the strongest body in space as soon as possible. <laughs> Thirsty chibble. 
Prime two day shipping. We're not talking about Amazon tonight. <laughs> that article, man, that article I sent you though. Ugh. Oh man. Yeah, maybe we'll have to post that one in the show notes too. Yeah, that one was pretty brutal. It's hard to argue against that one. Um, episode yeah. 10, The Holy Sword of the Future. Show and Shepardin are close companions, <laughs> but the alien Guts, Vorst, sends two super monsters to test their friendship. Show fights hard as victory before falling to Dorogori's deadly venom. The finishing blow closes in mercilessly, but Shepardin will risk its life it is life to protect his friend. <laughs> what will become of the two of them? It's so hard to read these sometimes. <laughs> it really it's is. just Ginga S though. The most of them have either been extremely spoilery or yeah, these. Oh, uh, no offense man. to the person who write these, but it's it's just especially if Mill Creek you're still listening. That's all it takes. Proofreading. But <laughs> Can we just talk about um, Forced in this? Well, no, let's talk about let's talk about Shepard in it first, because holy cow, I've never felt so bad for a suit. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like, wow. Like. I thought Z, I thought Ultraman Z dealing with the Red King and its babies was emotional, but man. This was this a one toughie. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you actually like yeah, that's that's exactly how I was feeling. I was like, it is it's a monster that the show does a really good job of making you want to care about it. Like you really get that with the forgotten past, right? Um, seeing, mm-hmm. you know, how he's been the only one to have all of these memories and whatnot. But yeah, it's just it's interesting because, you know, at this point in the show, you know, show, haha. And Hikaru, like, yeah. they're friends, but, like, you know, he still struggles fighting alongside of other people. It's so, like, he can't wrap mm-hmm. his head around Shepardon being willing to give his life for show, right? Like, he just does not right. understand that yet. But I think, again, at this point, we see that starting to happen is, again, just time and time again, these examples that people are setting for our characters are really inspiring them to be the best people or best Victorians that they can be. And that, I really like that, that it's the side characters influencing the main characters a little mm-hmm. bit more. Like in a lot of shows, the main character makes everyone else's life better. But we're getting a fully realized main character and watching um, how like cameos and guest appearances and kaiju can affect even the ultra hosts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's vice versa. Even the side characters, the development they have, it doesn't feel like hey, you're just spending time on this character that doesn't really matter. Like, I feel like they've done a good job even with these side characters, as we'll get into here in uh, the next two episodes. I think the show does a really Mm -hmm. good job with that. And I just, I think it's funny because, like, the the kaiju that they chose to tell this particular story with is so interesting, too, because he looks the most monstrous of so many of them. I think it's why Z went with the Red King as well, because of his legacy. If it was Pigmon, I'd have been like, yeah, sacrifice your life for me, little guy. I know that's who you are. Can you but imagine she- them doing Shepard a Zeton, though? Yeah. No, I'm not. I couldn't. Having him try to save a Zeton baby? Oh, no. <laughs> well, it... Yeah. That, that would be a toughie for me. That would be a tough, but... 
on another, actually kind of another tough one, but uh, Gamecube's Tears, episode 11. Exceller's new agent, the alien Makumania Morte, well, I guess they probably wouldn't have anyway, convinces a sad sex salary man named Yoshida to live with a giant Gamecube in order to work out his stress by wreaking havoc. But once Yoshida arrives, he finds himself in the form of a humanoid Gamecube. After running away and later being treated like a monster, he meets a young boy who isn't afraid of his ghastly appearance. The friendship they develop causes the change in Yoshida. I didn't realize that when I said lives, it meant anyway. Um, I know. I, I know. love, I, I I love all these. Like, time too. What? I, I did that last time too. Don't worry. Oh, I love the, um, I love all the I themed kaiju that we got in these last two episodes. But yeah. my question is in terms of how this felt very Kongish. And I imagine that this kind of story happens a lot. Um, do you get that? Should I unpack that? Well, yeah, unpack. Well, just like making friends with a kaiju, no matter what their appearance looks like, and then having that shift who you are on the inside. But um, I guess I'm thinking of like maybe the recent, the modern Kong mm, with that little okay, girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the one that you haven't seen yet, or did you finally? I see started it. it. Did you? But um, yeah. All right. We got about ten minutes in. <laughs> anyway, um, I this one was kind of nice. I thought it was kind of a strange timing within the series, but I think in terms of it played with the themes of the series well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, just when I when you look at the description, it's kind of like, what is this doing here at this point of the series? Yeah. But yeah, so. To be fully transparent, this is one of my favorite episodes in the series. Just, I think the ability for this kid to look through, you know, Ganku's appearance, right? And mm-hmm. th- that bonding that they have. It's it's funny that the the boy struggles so Saturu, like he he struggles to even like acknowledge what his mom does for him. Like they don't even have a very good relationship. And then all of a sudden this monster Mm -hmm. appears and he's able to connect in a different way. So obviously like, I think that speaks volumes to sometimes kids, the way that they're able to do imaginative play and all that. But Mm -hmm. again, you know, Yoshida as Gonku is able to help Satoru be a better son. You know, he, they went out of the way to make Mm -hmm. that dinner for the mom and like, you know, Yoshida helps him understand everything that his mom is doing for him. Like, you just, all of these at small acts of kindness, right? Whether it's chocolate bar with a forgotten past, you know, we have this episode here. Like, how important those moments can be in our lives. You know, we, we get caught up mm-hmm. in this idea that, like, to change the world, we have to do all this activism and stuff like that. And sometimes it's just being a decent human being and sometimes serving it's just others. Kindness. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and this this episode is just, it's so creative. I love Muerte, right? You know, Senor Ginga. You know, like, it's just, <laughs> there's so many things about this episode that just, I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Episode 12, To Meet You. The Furuhoshi Gang is back. One of them is. And one of them <laughs> has made her dream come true. 
Chigusa is now an idol on the rise, and her popularity isn't limited to Earthlings. Even an alien Metron is a passionate fan. But near Chigusa's concert venue, the alien Guts, Vorst, appears with a horde of monsters. The two aliens face off, and the two Ultramen join the battle. As the sun sets, the battle begins. Okay. So, at first I thought this show was kind of being meta. It's like, oh, they have the theme song in the show. That's cool. But I, yeah. don't, but I don't know if at this point that song had become the intro for Ginga because Ginga had a different intro initially. So I'm not sure how that plays out. Oh, okay. If that's something later. But uh, anyway, can we just talk about how much of a Chigusa stand that Goki is? It's disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Like One Directioner before that was the thing. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, Stan Chigusa. Um, this one was one of those ones, too, where I, I know what I say about kaiju fights, and I won't stop saying it, despite all of the one-star reviews we get. But this one, I was like, I was like, no, let's keep watching them. Let's keep watching the people a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that the kaiju fights were bad. It's just like, I think that's such a testament to the Ginga character roster that when the gang slash one of them shows up, yeah, it's it's a always sunny in Philadelphia. The gang is one of them. <laughs> um, I was just like, hey, I actually kind of miss them. I just want to hear from them for 22 minutes. What's yeah. the possibility of that going on? <laughs> yeah, and the the Metron himself, like, it's such a weird twist. So this plays off of an episode we'll see here in a few weeks for Ultra 7. Um, the plot, the, the Metron's in there. But it's just a more lighthearted take on it. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that they're like, we're going to invade the world through J-pop. Right? Like, right. <laughs> in a sense, like, it, it worked. Like, you, ideally, it should have worked, right? But then that song itself is just so infectious that he loses sight of why he came here. I just think that's hilarious. Yeah. Man, but I don't know. With the with Twitter and TikTok, if Justin Bieber became the mouthpiece through an alien, who knows? <laughs> What's Bieber even doing these days? Oh, he's still doing music. Is he? Okay. He did an album a few yeah. years back. It was actually not too shabby. I will, I'll be happy to admit that. I don't know. If Taylor Swift re-recorded Fearless about Kaiju, who knows what what I would do. But let's just, I just want to talk quickly, briefly about the cinematography Mm because I'm a sucker for the sundown shots. Oh, yeah. During Kaiju fights. Just Um, just remember this. You put put a sun. Just with this one with Metron, just remember the the sunset shot. Okay. It'll come back up. Oh, man. Yeah, it's good. Okay, I remember it. Episode 13, Split, UPG. (laughs) Secretary Kamayama has absolute authority over UPG arrives at the base. To strengthen their defensive abilities, a project that has been proceeding in secret will now be fully implemented. Hikaru is taken into custody after objecting to the plan. And the other officers are all barred from duty, except Arisa. As Birdon appears, a forbidden door deep within base is about to be opened. So, I know we don't have an award for, like, the best character, 
but Alien Chibble is the best character. Like, I can't impersonate <laughs> him, but he was like, what's up? Like, it's just his yeah. lines oh my are gosh. amazing. I don't know who his voice actor was, but they just had so much fun with this role. I, But especially in the context of this episode. Hmm? No, you're good. Oh, I just in the context of this episode itself, though, to have a character like Chibble and then like decimate the countryside. Uh, it's such a tonal, like a tonal shift that never feels bad, mm-hmm. but still. Yeah. Yeah. So how how do you feel like so this is kind of a, a trope that you see in science fiction and you know, genres like this pretty often, right? So, you know, you have an enemy that's more powerful than you are. So all of a sudden you have this secret weapon that you've been developing secretly, despite knowing the fact that if you watch any science fiction, if you pull out the bigger guns then the other guys are going to have bigger guns, like, do you feel like that works here? Like what's, what's your thought? Cause obviously if you're not preparing for it, the UPG having this weapon is kind of a blind side. It really is. And I think that it might have needed a little setup, but I think it might have had a little bit more than I give it credit. Mm-hmm. But um, Z, I mean, it's hard not to compare this one with Z because there's so, especially this back half of S yeah. does have a lot of Z. And I don't know if that's just because that's all I've seen mm-hmm. or if that's um, something that everyone would say. But I think it's hard to come from a Godzilla podcast and not talk about the way the Japanese um, creatives work with, you know, expanding military and expanding like weaponry like that. Mm-hmm. But I love what they didn't do. And in the same episode in which it premieres, you see how bad it is, how uncontrollable and how out of hand it gets so quickly. Yeah. I think that was a really good touch. And I think a lot of American shows would have let you sit with it and think, you know, it start to get the audience sympathetic toward it, mm-hmm. and we'd be sympathetic with it t- so long that when it did destroy everything, we'd been like, "Oh, they used it wrong. It's a good weapon in the right hands." Yeah, but Ginga S isn't giving us that chance. It says, "No, this is bad from the start." Yeah, yeah, and that was tough seeing Alien Guts getting killed like that. Like, obviously, he's oh, gosh. an antagonist and a villain, but like, but still, oh yeah. I, I knew it was coming, it's, and it still caught me off guard. What's what's the best way to say he didn't deserve that? No. No. And Ultraman will say he didn't deserve that. Not at all. The series says that. Yep. All right. I notice I say that in between every episode. <laughs> all right. All right. Episode 14, The Resurrection of Ho-Oh. Uh, sorry, uh, Lugiel. Uh, the Victorium <laughs> Canon. So wait, the Victorium Canon, like, is this a set of scriptures that have been authoritative? God, I'm such a jerk. Okay. Uh, the Victorium <laughs> Canon that was secretly constructed at UPG base is proven to be incredibly powerful. Furious at seeing the source of life for the Victorians and all life on Earth use this way, Sho leaves Hikaru behind and makes his way into the UPG base. When Hyperzeton shows up, Secretary Kamiyama's command room gives the order for the secret weapon to once again be deployed. What will Arisa do when she is asked to fire? Dot, 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 question mark. I love seeing the way that it's um, 
it's not even like a like with the atomic weaponry. It's something outside of like us. Mm-hmm. It's hard to argue we need that technology, but the way that it goes to the source of life on both the Victorians and Earths, like I love the way that it's an everybody problem. Yeah. Well, and and Ultraman has already said it's an everybody problem because it's so dangerous, but, like, it's ontologically an everyone problem. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and it sucks because, like, the Victorians didn't do anything wrong here, right? I mean, they they made it very clear the Victorium is not to be used for violence, and they didn't really have an option of, like, hey, yeah, we'll give up our stuff to to help here. So it puts them in a weird spot of, like, uh, they're responsible because it's their resources, but again, they didn't ask for this to happen, right? Right, so, and it's hard to, like, where would you put blame? And I don't know if Ultraman is ever going to put it on the Victorians in a real Mm -hmm. substantive way, and I like that a lot, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they made their mistakes, right? Especially with, again, going back to the Forgotten Past, like, there were some issues there, you know, not necessarily, Mm -hmm. like, unforgivable but there were definitely issues but yeah it it definitely isn't something that they are i would say like culpable right um it's definitely you know it's uh it's the commander for sure you know and we see the kind of person he is where he's able to convince show to put his gun down he's like violence isn't good and then he shoots him right like that's that is yeah a typical trope but like i think it just speaks to the lengths this guy will go to assert his uh perceived dominance and then even alien chibbles like mm-hmm. you try to use the power you could not even control right like what an yeah. indictment that is to just you know the the common day military industrial complex like all this stuff we're doing right you know we we can't really control what happens especially you know it's we have no idea the ramifications of what we do when we enact this warfare but we just want to be the people with the biggest guns right correct what do you think about the fact that the the enemy in this one, the antagonist in this one, was the Zeton? It it actually based on your comment with the last episode. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. You know, if you're gonna have a a big bad before the real big bad, it's it's got to be Zeton. I mean, that's just kind of that's his role in the series. You know, sure. But how do you feel about him in this the context of this episode with the um, canon? What do you mean? Like. We're going to keep going on this Oh, we're going to get the extension on this one. Yeah. Um, Like, we were talking about, like, um, in the last one, Burdon didn't deserve to die that way. Does the fact that it's Zeton? Yeah, Guts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Does the fact that it's Zeton, like, Hmm. does that sit differently? Yeah, that is a good question. I don't think we've ever seen... And you're welcome. I don't think we've ever seen a <laughs> Zeton in a redeemable light. Like it's always kind of been like mm, almost sure. like this embodiment of everything the ultras don't stand for. Now, sure. In other media, we have seen alien Zetons in somewhat more sympathetic light. But I think to me, there's a difference between these aliens and then who are clearly sentient, right? And then we have mm-hmm. these kaiju that it's kind of hard to decide. I mean, 
I was even watching, you know, Ultraman Tiga the other night. And that that kind of throws my what I was about to say out the window. So I don't know. Like, I want to say yes, because it's a Zeton. But then I'm also like, I, I don't know. That's a good question. There's an easy answer, but I don't know if it's right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I don't know if they want to give it to us. So yeah. um, that's I've got a Zeton you know what, to David? think about. Oh my god. <laughs> well, questions like these are just a part of that adventure called life. Episode 15. Hikaru <laughs> slash Ginga's nemesis, Darth Lugia, Yo, fuses with good. UPG's base. Creating Victor Oh man. <laughs> I'm so proud of that. Uh, with such a powerful foe, Accelerator's command, Ginga and Victor are powerless to stop him. With hope on the verge of vanishing, UPG still remains committed to the fight. Seeing them struggle, Mana questions the meaning of life. Though she is created as an android, she decides to consider her own life for the first time. I've got to ask, Chris, hmm. did you see the double agent, double agent plot point coming? <laughs> okay, uh, the answer is no. Because I'm used to TV shows like starting to wrap up right now on the second to last right. episode. And Giga S is like, let's throw all these curveballs in. We're doing an almost different show at this rate. But um, so no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. Oh, but yeah, yeah, totally. Again, again, that's what I love about these shows is I've seen them before and I'm still like, oh, yeah, forgot about that. Well, and it's funny because you're sitting thinking that the big story here should be Vic Lugiel, but I'm more mm -hmm. interested in Mana's self-reflection and like introspection yeah. at this rate. Oh, I know. Like, I love how, you know, and I don't typically like this phrase because mm -hmm. I think it's dismissive, but Tomoya totally gets owned for being a mansplainer. Oh, you know, he's yeah. like, I don't think she knows the reality, reality of life and death. And she's like, well, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, shut down. Oh, buddy, please sit down. Well, and I love it because the whole series has had this, like, ever since Shepardin dies for a friend. Like, I love mm -hmm. this consideration of, hey, sometimes we consider the uh, ontology and the life of kaijus. And how about a robot, too? How about an android? Right. Yeah, just because it doesn't fit the criteria of what we perceive life to be, which... I think in the real world gets a little bit more gray area, but for our show's sake, yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, granted, because I think we had that <laughs> same discussion with like droid sentience after solo and like mm -hmm. thinking like, what is what horrifying implications come out of that? But Ugh, it does, yeah. it kind of makes some interesting conversations that we're not going to have right now, but like uh, mana's kind of growing sentience self, reflectivity and then just thinking about the fact that in like z king joe custom is just a robot yeah 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 it, it is a little different there um i will say i really like that they start this episode out with flashbacks like that's such or i guess not maybe they don't start out with flashback they start when the battle's already over that first battle and then they do the flashbacks throughout the rest the rest of the episode. Like it was just, it was a nice little creative flourish instead of just starting mm -hmm. out and you see them get their butts handed to them. It just, I don't know. It made the pacing a lot more 
engaging, in my opinion. Yeah, um, that was some pretty natural pacing. Like, penultimate episodes have, like, usual attention, but even this one was working with it a lot better. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, so episode 16, uh, Battle for Tomorrow, a.k.a. David has not drank any coffee today, and we've still got a while to record. Oops. Okay. The final episode of Ultraman Ginga S. Mana's sacrifice brings a faint hope to Hikaru and the others. As Ginga and Victory struggle, Exceller falls to the side as their true foe appears and causes them to lose their Ultraman powers. But the people still have hope. All of Hikaru's friends gather for the final battle with the fate of the human race on the line. Can oh, I come no. out swinging on this one? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, wait, I want to hear what you had to say first. I was just <laughs> the note I had here. Oh no, Ultraman Ginga and Victory got stoned. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I was petrified. How are they gonna win? Uh, I like this better. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can can we just comment on the fact on that one. Misuzu makes the first move here? Oh, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought that was no. what you're coming out swinging. Hit no, me. no. Hit me. Uh, I was coming out swinging saying modest self-sacrifice, but the thing that I was most interested in seeing this episode was God. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? I was like, oh no, now it's just a wrap up episode. Like all of the stuff that I was really invested in is over. But it's like, not. I know, but that's what I was worried about the whole time. And I had to rewatch it to hopefully enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, but, I get that. Because the first time I watched it, I was like, I was so disappointed that everything that I was tuning into was gone. And, and I was like, okay, I'm back. I'm back. But <laughs> not quite. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, first of all, I love seeing Masuzu holding Hikaru's hand. That was great. We don't get a lot of actual romance mm-hmm. in these Ultraman shows. So that was a nice touch. Right. Um, yeah, like, so what was awesome here is back to me, Susan, like, she's finally able to use her dream, right? And she's able to help these people mm-hmm. in a time of need. Like, that was awesome. You know, perfect. We, we kind of really hadn't had that closure on that yet. And then, of course, you get Kenta being brought True. in, like, one of the most pointless characters from Ginga. And he has another really <laughs> pointless role. And I'm just like, poor guy. He's trying so yeah. hard and nobody cares. Which for a show that didn't have a very large cast, it, it, it that was a little bit disappointing. Yeah. But all in all, how, how does this work as the finale for you? Oh, I think it's perfect. I think just between, and we'll get into this a little bit later, between the way that uh, the captain and Arisa just, they still signal that respect to the commander, even though he totally ruined the town. Yeah, I think it. that says more to them than it does him. Right. Um, oh yeah. And, and I love that final fight scene with all the, uh, the chibroids and the different uh, Lugiel henchmen. Right. It's just, it was, it was mm-hmm. cool. Like even seeing Tomoya just like absolutely just kick butt. I'm like, where is this yeah. guy come from? It's awesome. Where, yeah. Where's, I once I watched it the second time, I really, really appreciated it. Yeah, absolutely. But expectations are weird, man. 
I will I will say the best line in this episode was Arisa, give us a hand because she only had one hand since the other was broken. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, that's uh, that was clever. That was clever. You you knew what you were doing there. Hey, someone was waiting their whole life to make that joke, but um What a life. Just like hey, it was <laughs> worth it. Um all right. Well, hey, let's move on to our real special one, right? Yeah. The one that we have six minutes for, and I have two pages of notes. Yeah. This will be our first. Ooh, oh, man, I'll give you the lead on this one then. <laughs> um, okay. I just have, I had one kind of funny note, one that I think would make you proud of me. Let's read I'm it. Let's get into this. You. Oh, thanks, Dad. The King S. the movie, Showdown, The Ten Ultra Warriors. The Earth is just beginning to enjoy its hard-earned peace when all of a sudden it is facing renewed threat. With the seven Ultraman warriors being sealed up by the almighty demon Etelgar, all human hopes seem to be lost. To thwart at this criminal... Oh, okay, that was my fault. <laughs> to thwart at this critical moment, Ultraman Cosmos and Ultraman Zero come to the rescue, and together they join forces with the Earth, defending Team UPG to fight the fiercest battle never seen before. So do we want to start serious or funny? Funny. Okay. Then you tell me the thing that you think will make me proud of you, even though I'm already proud of you. Oh, I recognize the actress of the one who is mind controlled. She was the yellow go buster. And I put that in a note because I was like, oh, I don't know if Chris has seen this before. That's awesome. I I had it, but I looked at her and it's like, where have I seen her? Oh, she's the yellow buster. I was like, oh, I should tell David. That's funny. That's funny. (laughs) Because I put a note in there and I'm like, hmm, the female antagonist looks like a Sentai villain. And I'm like, wait, that's funny because she's a Sentai protagonist. (laughs) Oh, and it makes sense because the director also did this really funny all women Sentai movie as well. But anyway, um, let's get into your two pages of notes. We still have a five minutes left. We do. Because of our new time zone. We do. So let's just go ahead and start with the worst joke I've ever made. Uh, looks <laughs> like that Ultraman just made a cause mess out of that situation. Oh, geez. I'm giving you <laughs> Ultraman zero credit for that one. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> that was good, though, actually. So. I'll be honest. Oh, okay. Here's my other, my other funny joke. So when I was listening to Mana Fight and it had all the robot noises, it just made me think of Dwight as the robot butler. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fair. Okay. Very fair. Um, yeah, so the movie about Etelgar, the gaslighter. Uh, actually, you know, I really like this movie, but it's your first Ultraman movie, so I'm more interested in hearing what you had to think about it. Yeah, I am not used to um, the way that this was all kind of introduced and wrapped up in an hour and a half. Um, it was barely used that. To the, yeah, I was very, I'm used to the long form storytelling. Yeah. Um, and I'm not complaining for a second, don't get me wrong. But um, it was such a, <clears throat> it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. And I'd love to see more Ultra movies. But um, I if these are kind of like, glorified team ups that's totally okay but um that's not why i liked ginga mm-hmm. yeah so w- were there any moments i guess that stood out to you or 
Yeah, I just um, I, I, the whole idea that this was about mind control, especially mm-hmm. with uh, the episode that we talked about on the last episode, um, it gave it a lot more of a poignancy, especially like especially on our compressed timeline of watching this in the same episode with Shepard and and um, having the sympathetic antagonist. Mm-hmm. It's I love the way that Ginga has been really working our heart muscle to like kind of feel for the antagonists and like whatever situation they find themselves antagonizing our heroes for, I feel for them. And I really like, even in a movie, because I feel like movies are where you just do the all out like CG, yeah, like, you know, yeah. fan stuff, but yeah. instead it was still a meaningful touching story. So, yeah. And that's what I really wanted to touch on because I feel like this movie takes everything that Ginga S was trying to do, which it did, but everything it was trying to do and puts a bow on it. And it's this idea mm-hmm. that is dismantling this popular idea of impact trumps intent. And what I mean by that yep. is it is a very common idea now that it doesn't matter why you do what you do. If you do something and you hurt someone, that's more important than the fact that maybe you didn't mean to do it. Or maybe you had a reason why you did it, which mm-hmm it doesn't negate the fact that there's damage done, right? That is that is not what I'm saying. Yep. But, you know, we see time and time again in these Ultraman shows, it's very rare that the non-monster antagonists are pure evil, right? They're hurting, they're misled, Correct. they're alone. So Tomoya, right, he was kind of antagonist for a moment. We saw it was because of his influence, a lack of good parental love that mm-hmm. caused him to be where he was at. Mana it was the way she was designed, but it didn't have to be that way, right? And we see the way that, you know, this, this human love uh, transformed her into being something more more selfless and pure, even before she got reprogrammed, right? So with Arena mm-hmm. here, I mean, she was literally brainwashed and gaslit into thinking that her planet had been destroyed. She was the only one left. Even with, you know, the commander, you have the uh, the other Victorian. I mean, there's just instance after instance after instance that the show is trying to tell us, don't look and define someone by their worst moments because there's so much yep. more to who people are. And we do need to look at why they do the things that they do because yes, maybe their impact, maybe it does hurt, maybe it causes damage, but that does not prevent us from being able to extend compassion because that is what truly changes people is when we can be compassionate towards them. Right. I mean, that's just, yeah. Yeah, totally. But even in real life, like in real life, I'm never going to come across someone who's hurting me because they're mind controlled. Mm -hmm. But I do love the way that Ginga has so many different ways to make me consider. Is this giant is this giant dragon actually sacrificing himself for a friend? Mm-hmm. Is this person who's antagonizing me like uh, mind controlled? Is this person been gaslit and lied to? There's so much going on that whenever someone's like antagonizing you, it gives me the chance to pause and say why. Yeah. Like how can I love them by listening to what their pain is? It, it invites you to rehumanize them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even if they seem like the least human things imaginable, like kaiju. Mm-hmm. Six minutes was not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what were we going to do if that was still at three? <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. All right. Our final thing we're talking about. Ultra fight <laughs> victory. 
After thousands of years, a diabolical space emperor named Judah Spector is about to break free from his dimensional prison. In order to prevent this disaster from happening and to save the galaxy, Earth's amazing superhero Ultraman Victory must use a new secret weapon, a combination sword and flute called the Night Timber. However, can the sound wave strength of our Ultraman's Night Timber stop Judah Spector and his army of monsters before it's too late? What is it with Tokusatsu and sword flutes? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's cool. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Because it's so fun. At least in this sense, like in Shoe Ranger or in Power Rangers, mm-hmm. they're playing it through the um, mouthpiece of their helmet. Yeah. But at least here, it's a little bit more believable. But <laughs> it's just such a funny thing to come up twice. Yeah. It it is funny. Um, how did you? So we were talking about this before. This being like thirteen individual episodes being all pieced together. Did this one work mm-hmm. for you? I can say I didn't know what it was, but I felt something was different. Mm-hmm. Um, now I you feel know. like it might have. I might have driven me up a wall to watch this in three minute increments. Like, just <laughs> right. being real. Um, even. Even uh, Ultra, the, the Absolute Conspiracy got hard to watch when it was such bite-sized chunks. But um, put it all together, I I kind of wondered, was this something made because people wanted more victory and they just wanted to see just a little quick adventure with him? So there's something called like Ultraman Retsuden that happens every so often. It's just kind of like offshoot stuff. Usually it's kind of like clip shows. It's from the, the impression I get. So I think it was just being able to tell a different story. And typically a lot of these will help tie into the next one kind of thing. So sure. Like absolute conspiracy did. Yeah. But it's, I guess, I guess for me, the biggest bummer is when you bring a character back, like a character that was so based in a theme or an idea and you bring them back. Um, Are you talking about Shep Pardon? Theme or idea? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for me as well. So like, um, this will be a few weeks after the episode, and I know you haven't seen it, but like Bad Batch did this. It brought two characters back from a very theme-heavy Clone Wars arc mm-hmm. and divorced them from those themes entirely. Yeah. And I did it tough. just didn't work. Like, I don't like seeing the same person again just to see that person again. I think I want to see that person again to see how they've evolved and how they continue to deal with what they grappled with in the show. Mm-hmm. See how the themes have continued to change them and seeing victory apart from that was a little tougher. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah, and that's... it. There's a lot of things I like about this episode. Like, Ultraman Hikari is one of my favorite Ultramans of all time. So, it was cool to see that. Um, And then there's some fun references, like Ultraman Ace, like this Ultra Touch. They did that in the last movie, too. But just seeing Ace be like, hey, do the Ultra Touch, because that's how he transformed in his show. Like, that was cool. But, yeah, it's not one I probably come back to very often. Also, I told someone that if you did not make this reference, I was going to break up with you. And you did not make the reference that I thought you would with your Star Wars addled brain. The Emperor revived? (laughs) (laughs) Like, 
That's great timing for that to come back. No, no Rise of Skywalker, nothing. But no, I was sitting there, like even in my notes. Let me see. What did I say? I said, I really hope Chris connects the dots here. Somehow Judas Spectre has returned. <laughs> okay. We'll have to, I'll have to make a meme out of that. <laughs> All right. It is oh, awards time. Da 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 da. We still don't, I don't have music for awards Let's yet. Today, so I need to come up with something. All right, Chris. Most beautiful kaiju without a musical intro. All right. <clears throat> I had, I, mine was kind of a toss up this time, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, I really like Yankee. Mm-hmm. And part of that was the episode. But I'm going to throw a curveball. And this is, this is unusual for me. Bird on is my least favorite type of kaiju, which is just earth thing, but bigger. But it's kind of a unique take. Yeah. So I kind of liked it this time. <clears throat> But since I have to choose because um, of our unwritten rules, I'm going with GameQ. Okay. See, what's funny is I'm I'm always tempted to go with Bimstar. Like, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. I love Bimstar. I thought you would. But I went for this Alien Metron. Like, it's... Okay. It's just so much fun. I mean, his his run... So Alien Metron's run is only second to the Kemer Man. Um, but just seeing, yeah. you know, the alien Metron doing all the dance, I just, I, I can't say no to that. It was, just... yeah, that's fair. Every time I see Ben, sorry, I always think like, get in my belly <laughs> from Austin Powers. Oh man. I don't think our, uh, I don't know if our listeners are old enough to know that. I actually have never watched yeah, any I of am. those movies. Oh, I've just, I've sorted through memes. No, I know. I know. I figured so. Um, Monster Graveyard Award again. I was gonna go with Bimstar, you know, getting knocked into mm. the sky like Team Rocket. I just it, it was beautiful, <laughs> but the the cinematography for when Victory Knight defeated Judas Specter was yep. amazing. That was that was excellent. Yeah, so um, I have to I have to give my tip my hat to Victory Knight there. What about you? So, on a serious note, or no, not a serious note, the non-serious note. Um, yes, that one. I, I did like that one. I, on a, like, a, just on the best use of a monster death with Shepardin, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that's not the monster graveyard. It's the funniest ones and the most gruesome not ones. Always. But not always. I can't not, I can't not talk about that scene. Um, like, that one deserves a lot of credit. That yeah. one, that one took me completely by surprise. Yep. Hey, that just means they're doing so, their job. Exactly. Uh, in terms of g- doing their job, how the heck did he get away with that award? Which, I don't know. I don't know if I, there were too many terribly unique ones this time. You're kidding me. There is one very no, drastically. No, I'm totally joking. Okay. <laughs> I'm totally joking. Um, <clears throat> I was almost going to go with Genkyo. Mm. Um, the one that I actually put... Um, not the holy sword. I wanted to do that one again. Mm-hmm. Uh, to meet use was pretty good, actually. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but maybe that was because I got caught up in the cinematography of everything going on. <laughs> I didn't know I was a sucker for cinematography until that episode. Is that a weird thing to say? Can I be changed? Yeah, you can be changed. 
So that's the one you went with to meet you. You choking on your whiskey over there? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to tell you to go while I was choking. Uh, um. I did the uh, when Hikaru and Sho are falling out of Vic Lugiel's hole. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. I was, yeah. I'm so happy you put it that way. <laughs> it was just, it was a cool shot. My joke that fell that my joke that fell flat on delivery that there weren't unique ones. Um, I just love the way that they've played with these so much. They had they had some fun, and um, we don't see aliens getting chopped into pieces, but so they changed all that direction into them transforming. Well, yep, yep. Bye. All right, aim for its butthole award. I did a a so so guy can only become so so big. Alien Akumania Muerte. <laughs> That's pretty good. What about you? I'm not surprised it came from him. Um, <clears throat> mine was a different direction. And I think this was also me like looking for brownie points from you. Mm-hmm. Um, were some of the voice actors, did some of the ultras have two voice actors in the movie? Because it sounded yep. like someone would speak and then someone would grunt. Or make ultra noises. That's that's a sore and point I, for me, but yep. That was my lost in translation moment. It was when one person would grunt and then one other person would speak. Yeah. Yeah. But was it like, were they like copying the sounds of their original appearances? Well, or? so so at least in the example of Ultraman Mabius, so the voice actor or the actor who played uh, Mirai uh, so that's uh, Shunji Igarashi. So he retired from acting in 2013. So they still used all of his grunts, but they had a new voice actor on there. Um, Interesting. But I guess he owns a few restaurants now and is doing pretty well. So that's cool. But oh, good for him. Yeah, he just was tired of... I don't, I don't know the exact wording, so I don't want to misconstrue it. But yeah, he retired from 2013. Sure. So, but... Okay, so favorite episode and then favorite episode of the series. I'll just, you know, just knock it out at once. What'd you do, Chris? Okay. Uh, favorite episode was Genki's Tears. Okay. And actually, favorite episode of the series was Holy Sword of the Future. Okay. I don't know if that's surprising or not. I think no. I would have been surprised if you told me this two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny but. how I think we both did, like, our favorite episode in this is different than our favorite episode of the series, but they're both from this because you just don't want to choose the yeah, same one I, twice. Yeah, I was thinking about that. It's like, does that make sense out of my head? But yeah, well, it's because it's we only a, have my two show. episodes, I can do what I right? Want. But if we go, you know, when we're going to do Ultra Seven, we'll have five episodes to choose from. So it's very unlikely that that'll be the case. True. So uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I almost had the same thing. So I did to meet you. I mean, it's just. It mm-hmm. is one of my favorites in general, but then uh, favorite episode of the series. So I went with Ganku's mm. Tears. Okay. Well, I guess I should probably be thinking about some um, theological insights, right? I would say that's a good idea. And, you know, here's the thing is it's like... Um, you know that I'm going to talk about Shepardon a little bit because like Pigmon, oh, and like Jesus, 
he sacrifices his life for a friend. But I think Shepardon has a little bit different one because they don't trust him to die for a friend. And it's just like Jesus who died for us while we were yet sinners. Like his love compelled us to die even though we were against him. And just like um, just Ultraman was against him because look at what kind of kaiju he is. Yet he would still die for someone who opposed him. Like, does that not speak to someone who loves us? And Pigmon was like, you know, he died for friends. And like, people will die for friends. And sometimes people will die for a good man. But rarely will someone die for an enemy. <laughs> but while we're yet sinners, uh, hmm. Shepardon died for us. Yes, he did. That's Romans 5 if you want to look that up. <laughs> might be, this might sound a little different in your Bibles. <laughs> but um, Yeah, what translation is this? Uh, that's the Chris Standard translation. The ultra standard version. But the ultra standard <laughs> translation. Yeah, oh, there you go. The the UST. Oh, man. But I did I <laughs> Yeah, the USP. Um I don't know. Anyway, um I did like you know how I've been doing the serious one and the funny yeah. one? This one just lent itself so well to the serious ones during the conversations that I was like, yeah. No. Oh, we go. Bye. All right, Chris, what are we doing next time? We're doing something a little different next time, in fact. We're not watching anything. Uh We're reading. Yeah. We're going through the Marvel Comics miniseries, The Rise of Ultraman, wherein we have a very special, but not not totally special, maybe mildly special guest joining us. Yes, and it's not Kyle Higgins or Matt Groom, so we'll just get that out of the way right now. Though we would definitely welcome you with very open arms. All right. So thank you for listening to this podcast. While it's easy to get caught up with reviews and such, you know the drill. We really just want to hear from you. So whether that's sharing your thoughts on an episode we covered, if we made a mistake, or maybe you think Ginga is better than Ginga S, feel free to send us an email at atrociouspod at protonmail.com. Or you can head over to atrociouspod.com where you'll find our contact form for listener feedback or even prayer requests. Until next time, Chris. May Kid Taro watch over you, Wyndham empower you, and King Joe bring you joy. (laughs) 